did. Um, we are so glad that you're here. Let me just say, since you were introduced to New Student Retreat, that that's put on by our freshman focus leaders. If you're a returning student, that might sound weird to you, but what was last year's freshman small group is going to change a little bit, and, and our leaders are called freshman focus leaders. If you're a freshman focus leader, will you stand up just so the freshmen can see you and, and know you? Barbara, stand up. You're a freshman focus leader. So, uh, their job is to make you guys feel welcomed and, and learn a, a lot about our ministry, and they're putting on this weekend's retreat. So if you have any questions, you can, you can of course, ask me. Uh, you can ask Mary or Sterling, who's over there at the, at the table, Marley, who's one of our interns, and Ben Waycaster, who's another one of our interns, and April is another person on staff in the back. So any of us you can ask, or the freshman focus leaders, we would love to answer your questions about anything you have. I'm so honored that you're here. My name is Micah, and I'm the campus minister here, and I'm uh, com coming into my fourth year here. And this is one of my favorite times of the year. I love meeting new people. I love kicking off the semester. I, I love the energy um, that, that's, that's in campus ministry. How many of you here, this is your first day, first week at Auburn, uh, freshmen or transfer students? Okay. A lot of you. I hope everything went well. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. We, we hope that you've... You've adjusted well. Um, so I, uh, um, if you were here for the pizza, you might have seen three little kids uh, running around, and those are my kids. My wife's name is Katie, and our oldest son is Jude. He's seven. He's in second grade. Our middle son's Owen, and he is five, and he just started kindergarten. And our daughter is Ada, and she's three, and today was her first day of preschool. So um, we, uh, they're so much fun. I love being a father, and, 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 and they're crazy. And, I was, and Owen, who's five... Um, so Jude, who's seven, he, he's kind of like me in that he is uh, a condescending jerk a lot of times <laughs> to other people. Uh, if, if you're new here, uh, <laughs> you just have to get used to your minister being that way. Uh, but, so who just say things? like? Uh, so this morning, Owen, Owen, for some reason, it's the second week of, pre, of kindergarten, and he's already talking about where he wants to go to college. Now, he thought he, want, now he, he thought he wanted to go to Boston. And this morning, somewhere in Boston, that's all we've gotten. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he's not there. He's keeping his options open, people. So, uh, and, and then for a while he wanted to go to England, which I was fine with because I, I felt like I should have been a British aristocrat at the turn of the century. And so uh, I'm happy with him going there. Uh, but this morning he says, Daddy, guess where I'm going to go to college? And we're like running late and rushing. I'm like, where? And he says, I'm going to go to Auburn. And I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, really, I hope you go to Auburn. That'd be awesome. And then he, like in a moment, I'm backing out and he's like, oh, no, wait. I said, what? He said, I, I want to be a movie maker, which is what he calls a producer. Uh, and he said, I want to be a movie maker. They don't do that at Auburn, do they? And I was like, I, 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 don't, I don't think so. And he said, what do they teach at Auburn? And he said, oh, I know how to be a preacher. <laughs> and he's like, oh, wait, maybe a lawyer. And then Jude is like, oh, and no, <laughs> that's not what they do at Auburn. And he's like condescending to him. And it's just, it's just craziness. And he, and he learned this morning that he's got to go to California to be a movie producer. And he was asking why I didn't have the answer, right? So, so there's, there, it's great being a father. It's great to have those moments. And, and, um, but here's one thing you, you probably know about kids. You've been around them enough. They exaggerate the danger of things. So Owen and Jude, uh, Owen has resisted riding a bike. And I took him. I've been making him ride a bike. I'll spare you these stories because you would, you would turn me into DHR. <laughs> uh, but... Um, uh, <laughs> uh, some of the students have heard this. This is, you know, it's not good parenting. But here's the thing: he learned to ride a bike, and uh, and so we're going on a bike ride, and this is right at the right at the, the bit before he's fully learned how to ride a bike, so he can learn on like flat, broad surfaces. And so we're trying to get to another surface, and and so I'm carrying his bike, and he's walking. You have to picture uh, he's five, 
He's shirtless. He's going through a phase right now where he's pulling his pants up as high as he can. I mean, as high as he can. I'll, I'll go up behind him. I'll just kind of pull him down just a little bit because I have a reputation in my neighborhood to protect, right? And I can't, I can't be walking around with a preschool that looks like a retiree. And so I, so he, uh, so we're walking. And all of a sudden, he just stops. And he was already a little upset at this point because he didn't want to go ride his bike. And, uh, and, and he starts just screaming. And I was like, what is it? He's, there's a bee. And there was a bee on the grass like 15 feet from him. I kid you not, it was like 15 feet. And he was just so convinced this bee was going to sting him. And I was like, oh, it's not going to sting you. He's like, of course it's going to sting me. I was like, it doesn't even know you're here. And he's like, how do you know that? Of course, I didn't know that. (laughs) I said, I don't know, but it's not going to sting you. I was like, you know, I was like, your sister, your three-year-old sister walked past this bee. And your brother, and I've walked past this bee. No one, no one has gotten stung by this. And he was just convinced. He had this fear of it. And then Jude, he fell one time at church. And being a preacher kid's tough, and he split his he split his head like just a little bit, just a gash, and we t- you know had taken the doctor, and, and, and they're like he's got to go get staples, so he kind of gets upset about that, and and he just he's convinced it's gonna hurt, and so we're in the ER, and we're telling him it's fine, you know they numbed it a little, you know they, they gave him a shot to numb it, what do you call it, nurses, sure, and uh, that's what I was about to say, and you, you cut me off, and uh, and and so he gets a shot. And, and he's so convinced that this is going to be like the most miserable one of his life when the doctor comes in to give him staples and he just starts screaming. And, he's, and I was there, my, my wife was there, and our, two kids were else, our other two kids were elsewhere. And he just started, it's like he didn't know who to cry out to, who would save him. So he just did, he was like, Mama, Daddy, Mama, Daddy, Mama, Daddy, Mommy. And he just then all of a sudden just erupted in like a, ah! And then the doctor stapled him and he's like bawling. And I was like, Buddy, did that hurt? He was a condescending jerk. And, right? And he's like, no. I was like, why did you scream? He's like, I don't know. Right? But, but kids exaggerate things. They exaggerate the dangers of things. And, and, and so do humans, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're going to go blind if you look at the eclipse, right? Uh, don't, if, when, if, there's a, if there's a nuclear radiation, you know, if we, get, if we get attacked from North Korea, don't condition your hair. It was like, did anybody see that article? It was all over the place. Like, don't use conditioner if you're in the midst of a nuclear attack. Like, you know, if, if, you've been, if, you've been, if your city's been bombed, with a nuclear warhead, and your thought is like, I need to go wash my hair, then maybe you should go ahead and use conditioner. Uh, but uh, I guess, yeah, right, reputation to protect, yeah. Um, but, but, but we worry about that kind of stuff, right? We exaggerate things, and the church isn't immune to that. And so uh, some of you are new students to, to college, some of you are transfer, some of you have been here several years, some of you have been like eight years, uh, but, but you, you are at a place that the church often fears, the church fears campus because the church is convinced that, that you are in danger, that, that, that you being on campus with your professors and the parties and the frats and the sororities uh, and, the, and the non-believers and all the things that you can see here, that you are, you are at risk of losing your faith at college. And so we, we throw around statistics, 47% of 18 to 25-year-olds drop out of church, which is true. And so we throw that around as if 18 to 25-year-olds, that's kind of college kids, so when they come to college, then they're probably going to lose their faith. I remember uh, an, old, an old man at the church I was going to the summer before I came to college. He pulled me aside, and, and he warned me about losing my faith. He actually tried to get me not to go to Auburn, which was, was not a very good strategy at that point. Um, but he tried, to not, he tried to get me not to go to college because he thought I would lose my faith. And um, I remember when I, I, I've been here, this is my fourth year. Prior to this, I was at uh, Western Kentucky working at a campus ministry there. And we had some, some rural churches that gave us money. And I went to speak at one one time. And I stood up and, and I 
pulled the statistic out. You know, we, we're kind of the people, we're there protecting the kids from the professors and all the unbelief and all the temptations, and, and we're kind of hunkering down and we're keeping them from that because fear sells, right? And so, you know, I, I, I warned them about this, and I did the whole, I remember very vividly sending up, and in the church there was like 20 people there, but it was a 400, you know, capacity. It's like, just imagine this place was packed with 18-year-olds. Half of them would drop out of church. Again, true statistic. And if you feel like that was devious, I did get money. Uh, so, um, so the church feels like college is a threat. But here's what I'm convinced of after six years of being a chemist minister, seven years of being in college, two degrees, okay? Didn't tell me that long ago. Uh, seven years of being in college is that campus, uh, being a college student is not a threat to your faith. Being a college student is an amazing opportunity for your faith. I have seen very few students lose their faith. Very, very few. I could count on one hand the number of students that I personally knew that came to college and lost their faith. And here's the interesting thing about the statistics we throw around. Yes, 47% of 18 to 25-year-olds who, who, who attend church regularly uh, when they're 17 will drop out sometime in the 18 to 25-year-old range. But here's what they don't tell you, is that the group that drops out the least is the group that goes to college. You ever heard that? The group that drops out the most is the group that doesn't go to college. That's fascinating to me. That what you're experiencing is not a place where you're at this great threat of losing your faith, but instead a place where you could actually grow in your faith beyond, beyond your imagination. That you're at a place that maybe isn't a threat to your faith, that you're going to come out weaker or you've lost your faith or whatever, but you're at a place where maybe you come out the other side, a stronger disciple and a stronger believer and with a faith way deeper than you ever imagined your faith being. So when we think about campus ministry here at the Auburn Christian Student Center, we don't think about it as a bunker mentality. I'm not here to protect you from all the bombs that are thrown at you at campus. Because I don't think you need that. What, what I'm excited about in campus ministry is seeing college students come to this, this, uh, this important transition in your life where you start wrestling with what does it look like for your faith to be your faith. To where all of a sudden, you don't live with your parents where they make you go to church. All of a sudden, you don't live with your parents where they make you wake up to go to class, by the way. I learned that in my freshman year. You're at a place where you get to start making major life decisions for you. Right? I went to a high school so small that you didn't even choose your classes in high school, right? It's, it's like you're going here. Why? That's all we got for you. Okay. Great news is I got to play lots of sports without being very athletic. Uh, so, but, but, so some of you have come from an environment where you didn't get to choose your classes. And now you're here and you get to choose your classes. You get to choose your major. You, for many of you get to choose who you live with. You get to choose if and where you're going to work and how you're going to spend that money that you make. You're going to spend how you're going to get involved and what you're going to get involved with and all the social organizations you're going to get involved with. You're going to get to start thinking uh, outside of maybe what you were raised in and, and what are you going to believe in politically and what are you going to believe in uh, religiously. And you're reaching a point where all these things, and here's, what's, here's whether it's, a, uh, to me it's amazing, it's kind of an accident of how our society is set up, but, but you're at a place where all of a sudden all these decisions get thrown at you when you come to college. All of them. 
What are you going to be? How are you going to spend your money? What kind of social class are you going to be part of? What, what's your friend makeup going to be, with, be, be like? Who are you going to marry? You're going to have all these decisions put right before you. And that's, that's the reason it's a great opportunity because for the first time in your life, and I don't care if you're an 18-year-old freshman or you're a 25-year-old grad student, for, for the most part, you're in this age range where for the first time in your life, you are faced with all these decisions pretty much on your own. Some of you are many states away from your family. Some of you are, your families are in different countries. And you're faced with all these decisions and you claim to follow Jesus Christ and you have to decide... How does my faith impact these decisions? How does my faith impact my career, my major, how I spend my money, who I'm going to date, how I'm going to date? How I'm going to spend my time? All those things are being forced upon you right now. And every single one of you, every day, you wake up and you make this decision about you have two things you can do. One is you can use your college career to become a, a, a deeper disciple of Jesus Christ. And we have all this language in the church. We, we say things like, um, well, you're going to go from Jesus being your Savior to Him being your Lord. Um, we might say that you're going to be a better disciple. Oh, we say, you know, sometimes we're going to own your own faith. We have all these phrases. But all we basically mean is, are you really going to be a follower of Jesus? And every day, in every aspect of your college career, really for the first time of your life, that question is fully up to you. And of course, the other option you have is that you can just continue being or become, if you're not already, I hope you're not, but just a warm body in the pew. Just someone who's, if, if, if you're on the campus and they give you a religious preference survey, you're going to ch- check Christianity, but that's about the extent of it. Or maybe someone whom you go to church every Sunday, but what, what Jesus said doesn't really impact how you spend your money or how you date or how you do all these other things. That's a choice before you, but that's a choice. That's a powerful choice because that's why this is such a powerful time in your life. And that's why college is such an amazing opportunity for you. Because again, for the first time in your life, you get to make a decision in every aspect of your life that I'm going to be a disciple of Christ. And so as a minister, one of the things I feel burden of is, is, is I really don't have that much time with you. Um, semesters are about 15, 16 weeks long. If you're not here for the summer and you do the math, I got, I, you're here for 30 to 32 weeks for two, three, four, five years, depending on if you're a transfer student or you transfer somewhere else or you go to graduate school, all these things. If you did add that up, that's not a lot of time. And so I can't teach you everything. I'm not capable of teaching you everything. But what I have to think about is how do I take people who are at this amazing point in their life with this amazing opportunity to become actual disciples of Jesus Christ and how do I help them along? How does our ministry help them along? And what can, I, what can we teach here that helps you in that? And so as I've reflected on this uh, over the last few months preparing for this kickoff and, and thinking about this, the, the, what kept coming up to me, and there's several reasons, but it's the book of Acts. And so we're, I'm going to take you through the book of Acts. Um, here's... I'm not going to make that full promise yet. This semester, we're going to go from Acts chapter 1 to Acts, the beginning of Acts chapter 8. That's the series Unleashed. It's, it's just a study of Acts 1 through 8. I'm not sure if we're going to continue on after that. It depends on how you respond to it. It depends on where our ministry is. It depends on how I feel about it. There's a lot of things. But here's what I can guarantee you is for this semester, every Devo, we will be going through Acts. And I have a very particular reason about it. That I want to, uh, two very particular reasons about it that I want to share with you tonight. And we're not going to spend a lot of time 
in, in the text tonight. But that's going to change next week, and we'll start moving pretty quickly and looking at some, some pretty large chunks of Scripture. But if, if you will, um, open your Bibles or turn in your phones or whatever, and just turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I said we're not going to look at, at, at much scripture today. Um, we're looking at two verses in Acts. Because uh, before I give you the two reasons that I think Acts is so important, thank you, that I think Acts is so important for us, um, I, want, um, I want to just tell you a little bit about Acts. Okay? And so if you will, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. There we go. <clears throat> it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So that's how Acts begins. So what do you know about Acts, even from this, these two verses, from, from other studies you've done? What do you know about Acts? Who wrote Acts? Luke, what else did he write? Luke, that's good. See, was, see you guys are smart. Uh, so Luke wrote Luke and Acts. And, and, and for the first hundred or so years of, of the church, they, they circulated together as two parts of one book. And later on, they were separated up, probably because of a desire to have all the four Gospels bound together. So Luke was separated from Acts, and then Acts was separated. I mean, Acts kind of went on its own and, and did its own thing. Um, but Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and who did he write it to? Theophilus, okay. Now, we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, he wrote it to Theophilus. Now, how do we know Luke wrote it? Um, Luke's name doesn't, doesn't appear in this. Um, but we know from Acts, because there's a, a, three sections where the author turns to, to the uh, uh, first-person plural. He starts saying, we. So the author is likely a travel companion of, of Paul's. Um, and it's in the sections where he's describing Paul's journey. We know from Colossians 4.14 that Luke traveled with Paul. And, and the church has, um, has uh, from very early on, the church thought Luke was the guy who wrote it. Okay? So Luke's writing it. Luke is probably either a Gentile or a Jewish person who was raised in a Gentile environment. He, he writes Greek very well. He's very familiar with that. The scholars can tell he's not very familiar with Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, so Luke's writing it. What, what do you know about Luke? A doctor, likely a doctor. Did he walk with Jesus? Yeah. So he interviewed everybody, but he was not, he was not a companion of Jesus. Um, so he's kind of, you might consider him like a, a second generation Christian. Um, and, and, and Acts was probably written towards the end of, of the 60s, 80s, 60s, okay? Um, and, and there's several reasons for that. One is that um, he, there's almost no mention of Paul's letters, and those became kind of a big deal pretty, um, uh, pretty soon after this time period, and so he would have mentioned it. There's no mention of the war between the Romans and the Jews, and there's mention of Paul's death. That would have been middle to uh, uh, um, uh, middle 60s. Um, there, there's... Um, uh, uh, and so there's a, there's a lot of reasons that scholars think that it was written around that time. And so what we're going to read in the book of Acts is, is something that was written about 30 years after the death of Christ, um, 30, 35 years afterwards, um, by someone who was a follower of Jesus but had never seen Jesus in the flesh, by someone who learned a lot about Jesus from other people. And he's writing this to a particular person. And... Uh, one of the amazing things about that is, is, is we're going to learn in a little bit, but Luke had a purpose for writing this. 
But if you've, if you've read through Acts and you've read Luke, um, what's going on when we open it? You, you got a little bit here, but what's happening at the opening of Luke, of Acts, I'm sorry? Like the story picks up and what's going on? The disciples are hiding. The disciples are, are hiding. They're waiting. Waiting. Um, what else? What's going on at this time period? We're going to see a lot of this next week. The waiting for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we'll talk about that some next week. What else? Jesus is about to leave them. Yeah, so one of the interesting things, if, you, if you've read Luke and Acts, is that Luke um, tells what's called the ascension of Jesus. He tells that story twice. So Jesus ascends into the heavens, tells it at the end of Luke, and he tells it at the beginning of Acts. And they, they, um, and they telescope. It's like he, he, he kind of steps back a couple of steps to pick up Acts um, and, and, um, and kind of recaps a couple of things. Um, what, what's happened? I mean, this is very basic stuff, but Jesus has been killed. He's raised from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples, right? And we pick up at this period. What, what are some themes? What are some major things that happen in Acts? I'm just trying to get you to, to get all this in the forefront of your mind. The building of the church. Huh? Building of the, church. the building of the church? Yeah, the... Huh? Sorry. Go ahead. The Gentiles receive the word. Yeah, the Gentiles receive the word. Peter preaches, Acts chapter 2. Yeah. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, Acts chapter 2. What else? What are some other things that happen? Yeah, Saul is converted and becomes Paul. Persecutions in the church. They grow Yeah, they, they grow more numerous in persecutions. Yeah, through persecution. It was interesting that it's called the Acts of the Apostles, and, and they all pretty much drop out halfway through the book, right? Um, it's, it's, it, Paul becomes the main focus, but what's interesting is uh, there's a lot of people throughout history who said this should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because all throughout this, the Holy Spirit's showing up. All throughout this, God is doing stuff, and, and we're, kind of, we're kind of seeing what God is doing through His workers. The highlight isn't the apostles. The highlight is what God is doing in His church. Right? Um, the reason I want to go through Acts, you're going to see all this, and, and there's some amazing things in here, um, but, but Acts is, is not primarily a history. It's, it's not like Luke is sitting there and saying, okay, I, I just need to sit down and write a history textbook. And, by the way, you won't see a worship service in this book. You won't see a gospel presentation that looks exactly the same. You won't see a sermon that looks the same. You won't see an evangelistic presentation that looks the same. They're not trying to give us some kind of pattern or some kind of layout. What's interesting is that he's trying to describe what happened in the first few years, the first few decades of the disciples going out into the world. And the reason I find this interesting, and, and this, the, the, I said there are two reasons I'm excited about looking at Acts with you guys um, this, this year. And the first one is, is that as I've thought about this and studied, studied this, I realized that the disciples have a lot in common with you guys. Like Luke's telling the story of how these disciples came to be real disciples and live their faith out and go out into cultures not familiar with. And Lord, it's like to own their own faith. And he's telling the story here in Acts, um, and, and I, think, I think that the disciples are in a very similar situation to you guys. Now, you might not believe that because there's a lot of things that are different. There's a, and I admit there's a lot of things that are different. But think about how we pick up in, in the story, if you know this well. The disciples are young in their faith. Well, John tells us, 
when, when they encountered the empty tomb, anybody know what John says? They still didn't believe. They still didn't believe that Jesus raised from the dead. There's, there's 50 days between the resurrection or the crucifixion in Acts chapter 2. 50 days. They have believed in the risen Jesus Christ for less time than that. So you have a group of, 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 of people, men and women by the way, who are young in their faith. They've never lived their faith out without Jesus being around. You think you're kind of free for the first time without your parents around? They're for the first time having to, to figure out what it means to follow Jesus without the Son of God right beside them the whole time telling them they're stupid and they have little faith and here's what you should have done and here's what you should have said. Like here, here is a group of people who are young in their faith and they, don't, they all of a sudden don't have the authority figure they were used to. They're being sent out into a world that, that is hostile to the faith or apathetic to the faith. Do you realize they have, they have never shared the gospel before in their lives? They've never sat down with a non-believer in the, in the resurrected Lord and shared the gospel. Well, we pick up an axe. So if you have never shared the gospel with a non-believer, you're in good company. By the way, this is for free, but do you realize that sitting here right now, you have more knowledge of Christianity than these, these men and women did at the beginning of Acts. They don't know very much. And if you don't feel like you know a lot about Christianity, they don't either. They pretty much all they have is like, well, Jesus rose from the dead. Let's figure out what to do next. They're going out into a culture where they have to figure out what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus and have a family and have a job. What does it look like to engage in a political culture that's toxic and divisive? What does it look like to go into a world with the message of Jesus Christ into a world that's divided into ethnic and racial groups and they don't get along and they don't eat together? What does it look like to start making decisions about where you live and what you do and how you spend your money? These are all decisions that these men and women are going to make. And what we see, what we see Luke doing is Luke's picking these stories and he's telling the story of how these people figured out to, how to live their faith out in a context where they're scared, where they don't know what it means, where the people don't like them, where they, they never shared the, the gospel for, they don't know how to overcome racial and ethnic barriers, they don't know how to relate to the government, they don't know how to relate to the religious hypocrites around them. They don't know how to spend their money when there's the poor in their midst. They don't even know how to eat together as Christians. They don't. And they've got to figure out, all of a sudden, how do I live out my faith fully as a disciple and make all these decisions that they're thrust into all of a sudden? And let's add this onto it. We're going to pick up, when we pick up next week, it'll be about 40 days after, after the crucifixion. What did the disciples do at the crucifixion? Where, where were they except for John? They were hiding. Where was Peter? Huh? He was denying. He was denying and crying, yeah. You're talking about a mere six weeks prior to where we're going to pick up this story, these men and women, by the way, the interesting thing is, the women were courageous, right? The men hid, the women stayed with Jesus. But these men, six weeks ago, had denied Him. Six weeks ago, had hid. Six weeks ago, could see the risen Lord and say, I don't, I don't believe it. 
and have to fill the wounds in his flesh. So they're not just they're not just stepping out here trying to figure all this out. These are people who've made big mistakes. They denied Christ. They feel shameful of that. And so how do you how do you relate to that? That's what we're picking up with. And I I, I hope that you get the parallels. Because you're living out your faith without authority figures. You're living your faith out in a social and political context that's, ra- that's divisive and toxic. You're living your faith out in a culture that still struggles with racism and still st- struggles with ethnocentrism and tries to figure that out. You're, li- you're living your faith out uh, in a time where many of you don't feel confident sharing the faith with someone else, despite the fact that they need it. You're living your faith out in a context in the South where you're surrounded by a lot of religious hypocrites. How do you deal with that? So I think Acts is important, not because it's, it's this great theology book or not because it's a great book of history and I'm a theology nerd and I love history. I think Acts is important because we're going to get a divinely inspired view of what it looks like for people who are more likely like you than you would believe, trying to figure out how to follow the Jesus that you believe in. You think it's worth listening to? The second reason is not about the, 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 the people that Luke's writing about. It's the person that Luke's writing to. Turn to Luke chapter 1. read the first four verses, but as I said, Luke and Acts, written by the same guy, written as a part one, part two, and, and Luke tells us at the beginning of Luke um, why, why he writes this. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, we don't know much about Theophilus. Um, If you've ever heard that it was probably just like a fake name, it was probably just to all people um, who are Christians because the name means lover of God, um, that's probably not true. This is a very common name. This is written to a person. And it's written to a person. Is, is Theophilus a Christian or not? Yes, he is. He says, so that you may know the certainty of the things, verse 4, that you have been taught. He's someone who is a believer. And scholars, when they look at this and they try to figure out, okay, what, what does Luke stress? They kind of reverse engineer this. What does Luke stress? What stories does he tell? What is he sensitive to? What does he emphasize, that the stories that we know the other Gospels don't emphasize? Um, what, is, what does he stress in Acts? Here's, here's what most scholars think about Theophilus. He's a new Christian. Oh, you might not feel like a new Christian because you might have been a Christian for nine or ten years. That's pretty young. There's people in this room who have been a Christian for multiple times of that. He's a new Christian. He's likely in the upper class of Roman society. 
at the very least upper middle class. And he's starting to struggle with his faith, or at least he's been struggling with his faith, because he's in an up, a, a social class that doesn't accept the faith. He's starting to see Christians persecuted. He's starting to see Christians marginalized. The people that he's around are apathetic or outright hostile to the faith. And so here's a young Christian that isn't sure if this faith is worth it. That isn't sure when he's faced with his career, isn't sure that when he's faced with his social decisions, isn't sure when he's faced with political and social consequences of his faith. And by the way, you, know, you don't really encounter this here, but um, that you, you could be marginalized to the extent where, where your job prospects um, dry up. Again, there's people throughout the world who if they become Christians, they have a hard time getting a job. And he's in a society like that. And can you just imagine for a moment, imagine being upper class, wealthy. And when we say upper class, this isn't, this isn't like uh, their house, you know, his house is on the street next to the you know, poor Christian's house. We're talking about mansions versus shacks. We're talking about someone who's got social power and clout and is rubbing uh, shoulders with very powerful people, likely. And who has, whose net worth is way, way bigger. Right? This isn't like, you know, this is not like me, lowly minister, compared to like, you know, a, a high-earning doctor. This is a difference between like me and, and somebody that's worth $100 million. I'm not worth $100 million, just so you don't know. Um, and can you imagine being at that level? Everyone you know is not a Christian. And by the way, Christianity is not a big deal, right, in, in the Roman Empire. It's seen for a long time as this weird provincial religion that started out with the Jews. And by the way, the Roman Empire is 10% Jews, about 4 million Jews. So everybody knows who the Jews are. And the Christians are just this tiny little sect in this minority religious group. And they're kind of weird because they won't sacrifice to our gods. And can you imagine being in the upper class and, and, and following Jesus and looking out and all your friends don't like Christians. And when you see Christians, they're likely slaves. They're likely lower class. Would you feel like Christianity is this great thing to be a part of? Would you feel like it's something that's really going to help you out? Would you feel like it's something that's, that's a part of being a respectable person? Or would you start to feel like this is a pretty risky decision? That being a Christian is a gamble. And do I really believe this enough to take that kind of risk? Do I really believe this enough to risk my finances? Do I really believe this enough to risk my friendships, my marriage, my family? So doubts arise. And these aren't that stark for us. But some of you are going to be faced with that kind of decision. I mean, maybe, maybe some of you might feel called to the mission field and you've chosen a really lucrative career and you've got to make a decision. Do you believe this enough to give up six figures to go and beg for money every year so that you can keep sharing the gospel somewhere around the world? Or some of you just have to make decisions about whether your faith is so important to you that you're willing to give up friends who don't want to be around you if you live this way. Some of you have to make that decision about your own family. And no, our, you know, faith is still, uh, Christians are still a very powerful social group in the U.S. 
But if, if you kind of pay attention to the statistics, can't you get the feel that we're on the down, downward slide in Western civilization? Don't you ever get just a little nervous about what's going to happen in 30 years? I think about what is it going to be like for my kids or my, my grandkids. Is faith worth it for them to not have a job because they follow Jesus? And here's what's amazing to me. Luke tells us, he says he's researched this, and he says it's an orderly account. And here's what that tells me. Luke spent a lot of time thinking about Jesus and thinking about the early church. A lot of time. And he talked to people. Many scholars think, this is just a neat kind of historical thing, that he probably talked to Mary because he says interesting things about Mary that Matthew doesn't have and the other Gospels don't even mention. The birth. So here's a guy that spent a lot of time around people. By the way, he wasn't someone that saw the earthly Jesus, right? He spent a lot of time around people who were around the earthly Jesus, talking to them, learning it, researching it. But he didn't tell us everything that Jesus did. He didn't tell us everything he learned. By the way, here's one of the cool facts of that is there's, there's a saying in G, of Jesus that shows up in Acts that doesn't show up in Luke. <laughs> so when he says in Acts, and he said, uh, that I quote, it's... Uh, you've, you know it. It's, it's, it's more blessed to, to give than to receive. He says, as the Lord says, right? But you won't find that in one of the four Gospels, right? So it's interesting that Luke's got all this information and he doesn't include that saying or the context of when Jesus said that in Luke. And so here's what happened. Luke picked out certain stories about Jesus, but let's focus on that. He picked out certain stories about Acts. Because after all of his research and after maybe two Two and a half decades of being a Christian, after being around a lot of Christians, after maybe talking to the apostles and traveling with Paul, maybe talking to the mother of Jesus and seeing all these people come to faith and minister to them, that he picked these stories out because he thought that what does Theophilus, who's struggling with faith and trying to decide if it's worth it, what does he need to see? The answer is the stories that he gives us. And on top of that, as a, as a Christian, I think it's not just that Luke made these decisions. I think that God worked through Luke to divinely inspire these decisions. And so these are the divinely inspired decisions of a guy who was trying to pick stories to help you figure out or someone just like you figure out if Christianity is worth it. If Christianity is worth the pay cut, if Christianity is, if Christianity is worth losing friends, if Christianity is worth being cut off from your family. And so I'm excited about Acts because I think that's something we need to hear. And the only thing I want you to walk away with tonight is this question. Is this worth listening to? And I don't, I don't mean that as like, a, you know, as like a preacher, kind of just throw it out there. I mean that in a very serious way. Because Luke is not interested. You're, you're here to get just going to info dump on you. You know, every, every lecture. Luke's not interested in, in info dumping on you. He's got a lot more info he left out. Luke's interested in your life being transformed by this. And so this semester, as we go through the, uh, um, the, almost the first eight chapters of, of Acts, you've got to ask yourself, is it worth listening to the hand-picked stories of a guy, um, he picked these stories out to help someone who's trying to decide if, if Christianity is worth it. And there's stories about believers who, who are, are young and trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in a weird context and a culture that doesn't like them. And you've got to figure out, is, is it worth it, the time each week to listen to these? To be transformed by it. Because if you will listen, God will teach you a lot. He will teach you, he will teach you what it means 
to have money and see poor people around you and what you should do about it as a believer. He would teach you, he would teach you how to relate, how Christianity impacts your view of other races and other ethnic groups. He would teach you what it's like to share the gospel with somebody and, and share the gospel in many different contexts. He would teach you what it's like um, to be persecuted and watch God do more through that persecution than he did when, you, when the church wasn't being persecuted. There's so much we can learn from this. And the question is, do you want to spend the time doing that? Because our ministry is going through that. There's a lot of things tugging at you, a lot of social commitments, a lot of academic commitments, um, a lot of uh, work commitments. There's other ministries you can go to. But for our ministry, we're going to camp out here for at least a semester and let the stories that God inspired Luke to write down transform us. And the question I want you to wrestle with this next week, and next week we'll come back, we won't have pizza to attract you here, all, we, all, all we'll have is this. Uh, so if you don't like this, it doesn't get, you know, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> uh, um, uh, we will have ice cream afterwards. Mary would be mad if I didn't tell you that. Uh, but, um, but next week, we're going to pick up with Acts to listen to what God has to tell us, what he inspired Luke to write down. And here's the thing, if you will spend time with this, you will be changed. Whether your faith is deepened or you, co- or you come to faith. You will be changed if you listen to this. I'm so glad you guys are here, and I appreciate you listening to me. If you will, let's stand and let's sing a little bit more.